This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. All scouts, there's like 20 plus scouts come every game and it's inevitable, it's going to happen very soon. And then I got told that they wanted me in the reserve team of the men's and I was like 15 at the time. We won Division 2 by 100 plus points, top scorer. In today's episode of the A Player Journey series, I am joined by ex-professional footballer Nathan Ellington. Now Nathan has had an incredible career, playing over 500 games as a professional for clubs such as Watford, West Bromwich Albion and Wigan Athletic, scoring 147 goals along the way. We talk on how he first got started within the game, playing under different managers such as Tony Mowbray and Paul Jewell, and his amazing partnership with Jason Roberts. This conversation is insightful, impactful and motivational and therefore not to be missed. So let's get into it. Just starting off then, how did you get into football um, and then where did your football career take on to after that? Oh, um, it's a bit of a long story that, but um, <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about I went down non like non league route. So okay. me, I was like a. I started playing for you know a grassroots team from like year nine in school. So from that year is the first time when I was really playing football um, on a Sunday. And then what happened was that manager of the youth team he said, "Look, you're way too good for this level. I want to get you down to Crystal Palace." Um, he brought me down to Crystal Palace. These were the times you had no mobile phones and stuff like that. You just <laughs> take the bus and you know and hope to just get there and you know hope you be on time you can't call anyone so you're going to be late or anything so I used to go up there uh, it used to be about an hour an hour away from home take the bus get on you know do training come back and then they actually I used to be a midfielder at the time certainly a midfielder and um, they actually played me at the back because I was so big um, compared to the other lads so I wasn't used to that um, got a bit frustrated a little bit um, and one day I think I was training with them quite a bit and then one day it was like a Sunday and we had training and it was raining all morning. I was waiting for the bus at the bus stop and like an hour and a half later, there's just no buses. And I was like, you know what? I'm going home. <laughs> I went home and um, I didn't even call back. I didn't go back. I probably felt too embarrassed to go, go back. I couldn't call anyone. I didn't have a phone, like I said. So um, anyway, that was the end of that. Um, but then when I carried on with my football, I ended up playing for a non-league club called Tooting and Mitcham in the youth yeah. team. So I lived in Tooting, so the nearest club was Tooting and Mitcham. And uh, a lot of my friends from the area, we all went to the trials and um, we all got in and did really well. And then I got told that they wanted me in the reserve team of the men's. And I was like 15 at the time. I was like, man, this is crazy. I, I used to walk past this stadium, seeing how big the stadium was and you know, wondering if I'd ever get to play on a pitch like that. And um so then I obviously had a bit of a weird experience playing with them. Um, but I managed to obviously handle myself. Then what happened is I got injured with them uh, in, their, in their reserve game. And um, I injured my wrist. And I remember it was throbbing and I had to go to the hospital. But during the game, I was just left to go home. So I ended up walking all the way back home. It's like 40 minutes, maybe half an hour walk with my arm throbbing. And the match is still going on and nobody's taken me home in the car. It's only like a five-minute drive for them. Nobody took me home. I just went home. So I was like, I'm not going back there. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going back. And um, basically, my other friends, 
who were playing for another team called Walton and Hersham. So this is where it all really kicked off. They said, come down here and play with us. So I played with them. Um, a good friend of mine called Gavin Holligan, he um, actually went pro. He went to West Ham. I played in the same team as him. Me and him scored, I don't know how many goals. I think he had 53 the whole season. I joined halfway through, end up with like 20-something goals as well. So he moved on and then the manager wanted me to play for the first team. So he said, look, come for the first team here, play there and, and you'll move in no time because you, you, you're that good. And um, Gavin Oligan was calling me saying, listen, Nate, West Ham want you. Come now, come. Uh, I had opportunity to go to Wimbledon, um, in the YTS scheme. So I knew it was going to be like £42 a week. Um, so I was thinking, okay. And then I heard all about the, um, you know, like the, the cleaning of boots and all of the work you have to do and like getting, you know, basically slapped around by the first team and everything. And um, my, I got some great advice at the time. It was like, look, Nathan, I know it looks like the big lights and everything going to the premiership and playing for West Ham, but you're going to be a small fish in a massive pool. You don't want to go down that route because it's very, very difficult. It, you've got a very slim chance of doing well and making it. Even if you're very good, other players are going to be way in front of you in the pecking order. So he said, go into, um, go into play for Walton and Hersham first team. Then you get bought. You will be bought in a team that's going to take you into the first team. And you'll be working your way up through the leagues. And as you get better, you'll be getting at a better level. So there's nothing better than that. And he says, it's very, very small amount of people who go to the higher level, they come down and they go back up again. Yeah, it's true. So um, that was the one advice that I just took straight there and then. I went for West uh, Walton Hersham and then Ian Holloway after, I don't know, I was on the bench a bit at the, at the time at Walton Hersham and then every time I was coming on, I was getting a few goals. So I started scoring and then all scouts, there's like 20 plus scouts come every game and it was inevitable. It was going to happen very soon. Never thought it'd be away from London though because that's where I lived. Never even crossed my mind that I'd have to leave. And um, I ended up uh, Ian Holloway coming down to a match against Sutton United. And he left after 20 minutes. He told me that when I met him up. And he says, look, Nath, I came to watch. I heard all about you. But there's one thing that you did that made me just make my mind up straight away. And he said, a long ball came over the top. And it was going to reach you. And you were shaping up to volley it. And the defender cleared it but you still shaped up and then followed through with the volley. So he said, that's anticipation. I decided I'm buying you just from that. Like, I know everything else. You can score goals, this and that. But that there, you can't teach that. It's one thing where it's basically like saying, if you've got that natural feeling to just score, even though the ball didn't even come, you're looking for a mistake, bang, you're going to still make the movement. So I was like, oh, okay. And only until now, it really makes sense, if you get what I mean. So yeah, that's how I got into the pro game. Bristol Rovers bought me at the time. And I moved on to there. So, nice. really uh, good stuff. In, interesting uh, journey. And I, I always kind of say to players, I think it's important to take um, well, an interesting journey, but a journey with experiences as well, um, ups and downs. Um, because, you know, don't get me wrong, sometimes people have plain sailing, but as you kind of alluded to there, you know, as soon as you're at the top, people may think it's great, but then, you know, there's only one way down if you know what I mean so exactly. you know and, and you've got to maintain it so yeah it's interesting the type of journey you took and and also as well the environments as well like like you've been to as well about the uh, Crystal Palace experience you know you just didn't have to feel at the time whether it be you know even something like like you said getting in touch with them you know but there's certain circumstances which may happen along the route and yeah it's, it's massively important to to the decisions which you make so 
yeah, like I said, interesting, interesting starting. Um, taking it back a little bit further then before we kind of move a little bit further on. Um, obviously, like you said, you kind of got into um, a grassroots team around the sort of year nine age group. Um, before that, was you, yeah. was you playing sort of recreationally um, or and what was kind of like the push into it? Uh, to be honest, what, the way it all started was um, I would play every now and again with friends in the park and stuff. That was before that year and stuff. I think I remember every six weeks holidays, we'd just go to the park and play in the park anyway. Yeah. I'd never be playing for a team until I went to a friend of mine at school. So he was at school, a good friend of mine. We went to his house. Me and my mum went to his house, had dinner. And I saw his football kit in his room. And that was the first time we had a chat. And he was like, look, you should come down and come training with my team. You know, you might be able to play for the team. And um, I was like, okay, I'll come down. So I went down and trained. Obviously, the manager is not going to take me on because he thinks that he's just, I'm just a friend of, of the friend <laughs> from school. He's probably not a good player. So I got to train. He didn't want to, you know, turn me away. But I got to train and then they just sent me away after that. So, um, yeah, so that was how that, it all started. Um, and then from then, um, I think, like, I was in, got into the school team um, and everyone obviously could see that I was good. Um, and I just felt, it was weird. It's like them, a feeling of, I knew I was good, but I never played for a team. And um, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted when I played football, like score goals how I wanted. I'd always watch football and, and love watching, like, um, even Serie A them days with Batistuta, Del Piero, all them, George Ware. You know, I just remember watching the, the Serie A, Ravinelli with grey hair. Every, all them boys, I used to watch them. And pretend to be them on us on the, you know and on the park in the park, but actually it gave me the powers of them. It's weird. So yeah. when you when your mind you start thinking of I'm this player, and you want to do what they're doing, you end up playing a bit better. So um, that's just how I was. I used to take all the little great things about different people, and try and make it my own and add it all to my game. It's like um, I don't know if you've seen. I, th- I think I, the only thing I can kind of relate to is like. Heroes, the, 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 that TV show that used to be on, um, it's like a Marvel um, TV show. But one of the guys, whenever he goes next to one person, he can assume all of the powers of that person and he will take it off. Of, that was how it was for me. It was even like players like David Ginola in, in uh, Newcastle, both-footed, and he used to control the ball. And then as he's taking that touch, he used to go the other way. And I used to love that turn. And, and people used to like be coming in from behind and thinking he's going to the left, and then he just turned. And I'd be like, wow, that first touch inside of the foot and then outside the foot the next touch. I'm going to keep doing that. So I'd just be copying all these things. Beckham free kick. Um, Ronaldo, R9, my favorite player ever. You know, I used to watch him every week in Serie A and in Spain. And it was just stealing everything from everyone. And um, yeah. that's what made yeah. me me, really. I just had this passion to go out. I'd go on the, in the park on my own with one ball. And it's annoying because I'd kick the, the, the big pitch with one goal, with one net. But behind it, there's a school with barbed wire and all that black tar stuff on it. And I used to shoot the ball. I have to go and get the ball, come back, shoot one ball. But then I'd kick it over into the, into the school. <laughs> so I'd have to climb up the gate and then climb over the barbed wire, get the ball and then jump back over again and then keep shooting again. I, don't rem- I can't believe that I used to do that for hours <laughs> on end. Like in the rate on my own. It's yeah. mad. Like Having one shot, one ball to do even three kicks with for like an hour. Imagine you take a shot, you have to go get the ball, come back. That was just me, the love of the game. And, yeah. um, and even I, I forgot about the um, Millwall. So while I was at Walton and Hersham, the chairman, he was also the chairman of Millwall. So okay. they 
they took got me over there to train with them as well. I played a game, scored, did really well. Um, I think it's time when Port Eiffel, them kind of players were there. Um, and uh, I was there. I, I trained in uh, training. And then they didn't take me on either. But it was like, it's a weird thing because a lot of people say, how did you handle like rejection? And I was like, I even know, I didn't even think about it like that. It's like, I just went and played my football and then they don't take you on, they take you on, and who cares? Like, I just yeah. carried on doing what I was doing and I knew I knew I was good anyway. I knew I was doing well, whatever I was doing. Um, and that's what happened. And I even went to Fulham for training with Kevin Keegan. So Betsy, I remember Betsy being there, um, Sean Davies. So he was, um, he was from the same kind of area as me. Sean Davies was at Fulham. So then that's the time when like they had quite a few of the young boys and they were doing really well. And I went and trained. I'm sure it was in Roehampton that I went to train with them. But a really nice day, training ground, the best pitches. And I, I remember playing a, like, a small four-side game. And my, that's the first time I experienced a chest burn from how <laughs> fast the game was, how fast the session was. I was like, oh my gosh, i got to stick with this man. Oh, oh. And I went home coughing because of the burn in my chest. I was like, wow, that's the fitness levels that I've got to get to. And even there, I did okay. Um, I think Saha, Louis Saha would have been there at the time as well. So they had some really good players. Um, and I think they had a, a tall mixed-race centre-back as well. I can't remember his name, but he was another guy that grew up around us as well. So I went on these trials at a few clubs as well, but in, that was in between before moving to the, the pro level. So that kind of paints the picture of where I kind of came from. I got into non-league, then got pushed into you know some pro teams. And then eventually gone uh, semi-pro, then straight into the pro game. So, so it's, it's a nice little progression, I'd say. Nice. And, and just pick up on a few things there as well. So, um, obviously, number one, like you said, in terms of before you went into a team environment, like you said, you were just kind of playing. And I think what's important as well is that a lot of the time, and especially when I'm coaching children and the parents will say, you know, oh, should I get me into a team? Should I get me into a team? And I think that mm. it's a big sort of... Um, big sort of presumption that you need to get a child into a team as quickly as possible, as early as possible. And don't get me wrong, I get that you have experiences of, you know, I mean, like, I, I started playing football at a similar age, like in a team, as you know, just through lack of opportunities, teams within my area. But uh, I get yeah. that when I went into a team, that I was when I was playing my first ever match, like organised, structured match, somebody in that same age group had played thousands of structured matches because they had started at like a, a mm. U6 level. So I, I get that, that yeah. idea of it, but I also do think that, like you said, even just through watching your favourite players and, and things like that, and in this day and age, things like FIFA, you know, you see all the children playing FIFA, then trying to replicate the skills that they've used within FIFA. Um, and I think that it's so important to kind of understand that, do you know what, in sort of recreational football, in um, unorganised football and playing with your friends, you have an opportunity to try these things and, and try them out. Whereas mm. when you go for your hour session with your team, you know, a lot of the time is wasted because the coach is talking, just because often coaches try mm. and use their egos of, oh, this happened <laughs> in the game before or that didn't happen in the game before um, and then a review afterwards. So a lot of time gets taken up and then actually you have so much to play time and because you're directed to what the session is or what the outcomes of the session are, Limited. I mean, you know, depending obviously how creative and um, open the coach is with, say, for example, um, if they play a match, what, what the challenges or the mm. structures are within a match. But if you're limited to two touches, you know, how on earth are you going to be able to do skills? How on earth are you going to be able to be creative on the ball and go and dribble past hundreds of people? Uh, so there is something that I want to mention there then. Yeah. So um, 
I played for, so this is where I feel like I got a lot of my skill from. Um, yeah. I used to play for a boys brigade. I don't know if you've ever heard of a boys brigade before, but it's like a church. Um, so part of the church, you have like activities going on for the community in your area. Yeah. And, um, you know, for us in our area in Tutin, like we was like, listen, there's football going on there. Let's go and play with, yeah. with them. So it, that's how it started. We went and played. There's like a back bit where they had like, I think at first it was like concrete and they ended up upgrading it to like this kind of, it wasn't 3G at the time. It was something else. It was like this bouncy kind of, in oh, the, the red one. Kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you'd have the long goals, the long short ones, yeah. not like the, the higher ones. But um, again, I'd play out the back there, destroy everyone. It'd be, And then we'd play inside the hall and it was on the wooden floor with like the tennis ball kind of ball. So annoying ball, the, the ball that's like slippery. Yeah. But we used to go in there. I remember it's all the all, all these big guys, all the smaller guys, all playing. And we're yeah. just doing loads of skill, dribbling and getting knackered and keeping the ball, holding people off and then getting knackered and going, all right, I'm going <laughs> to win the ball back again. And then I'm going to destroy everyone. And then I'm going to bang the ball and hit them. So that's all we was doing, like doing all these little stupid skills and getting fully knackered. And then just continue doing that all night. Yeah. And then it would be like every single Friday back there again, again and again. And that's where we got our little skills from. Like yeah. there's so many of us in, in there that were really good, different ages. So I was playing with like the older guys thinking, yeah, I want to test myself against these big guys, man. If I can do it against them, that'd be amazing. So that was, that was, it was amazing. I just got to say that was a part of my, my younger years, which if I didn't have, I'm sure I wouldn't have the ability that I have now. Because we won it, we went everywhere. So there was, we were called 70th London Boys Brigade. So that's in Tooting. But then there's different, all different Boys Brigades in London. So they were called different names. So obviously there must be 70 other ones, 69 other ones. <laughs> that's the ones above us as well. So first London, second. But then we'd go to Scotland. We'd have tournaments everywhere. So we'd be winning, all, we won all, everything pretty much. We'd be every team, all five-a-side tournaments, 11-a-side games. But it was more five aside and um we did do other sports but the main thing was going up and down the country and making sure we came home with with our with our medals and um i just used to love just scoring goals for fun and you know obviously helping making sure my team wins and um that was just a, a, an amazing part of my my childhood when it comes to football as well so if you're talking about that's not like a football team so i didn't count that as like a team <laughs> team like a grassroots team but yeah, I did play for that team quite a bit. And I think my, my medals draws and my medals like bag now. I've got a massive like thing in the garage, a big box, like a clear box with all the medals in. Near enough, all of them are from Boys Brigade actually. So <laughs> apart from when I went pro. So yeah, it was um, really good. To be fair, it's really, really good and really beneficial for the area. I don't think they do much these days for that anyway. So like now I'm in my area. If I wanted to send my son somewhere... I can't see anywhere that you can go and go, there you go. There's the nearest, you know, I don't know, football for the whole community. All the kids yeah. from the community, they go there and they just play. Yeah. And we set something yeah. up from the government or whatever. They, I wish they had stuff like that. So you get more people off the streets, you know. I guess we would have been doing, been up to no good if we didn't have that every week to look forward to. And um, the amount of kids there from all different backgrounds, all there. And it was just amazing because we all got taught manners we got yeah. taught to have character. We got yeah. taught, we, we were doing like army stuff, you know, not, not army, but like it's um, cadets kind of things like walking with your straight arms and then standing at ease and standing at attention and all of that. So we had to be proper 
and they made sure that we were you know respectful and everything so is is another great side to it as well yeah. in character building I think again, it just adds to the experiences. I mean, you know, like like you said, um, and I think as well, one of the things which is always neglected in coaching, and uh, when I discuss coaching to people, I always talk about a lot of the time they have the big uh, idea that coaching or football in general is just all technical, technical, technical. And yeah, it's important. Technical is important, but also like your social skills um, and being in an environment like that. Like you said, you're playing with older children, younger children, um, children you don't know, children you do know. And, you know, like you said, you're having to be respectful to adults. And I think it all adds to that sort of big, you know, development of you as a person as well, not only as a footballer. Um, and then also as well, I think, you know, just in terms of, like you said, those sort of provisions, it's, it's, it's hard because I get now, you know, they want structure with sessions. They want sort of, you know, plans of, okay, well, this is what we're going to do this week. And this is how next week's session is going to link into that. And that's how these two sessions link into next year's ideas. <laughs> and, you know, it goes crazy. But I, I do agree. And I think and as well, especially if you look at the game now, and you're seeing some of these young players come through, like your Jaden Sancho, your Hudson Adoyes, and, you know, they're very open in, in speaking about their street background and, you know, just yeah. playing. And, you know, like yeah. I said, I mentioned earlier on, I think that just playing is so important. But then obviously mm -hmm. when you do go into these professional environments and that's what's going to come on to next is obviously you're coached and you're expected in a way. So I suppose it's a, well, it's a job, but you know, when you're at a job, you're expected to do things in a certain way in a certain uh, like pattern of ways of doing things. So you're all reaching a set target. So it's difficult. But when you did go to your, sort of like your first club and then kind of also, like I said, mentioned some of the clubs that you played for, but I know, for quite a few, but you know, your, your Wiggins, your West Broms, your Watford, your Derbys, but um, especially as mm. well, maybe when Wigan went up into the Premier League as well. What was the coaching like there? Because I mean, obviously, you know, if the managers buy you, they probably think, well, Look, I want to buy you because you fit their criteria of what they're trying to achieve within their team. But does that yeah. change depending on the scenario? So, say, for example, when you're Wigan and you're going up. Or when you're at the, in the championship, you know, you're, you're top of the pile sort of thing. But then when you go into the Premier League, you're now playing against other big teams. And do you have to, do they change your way of playing much? Or do they still go and stay true to sort of reasons and what they brought you in for? Um, obviously, when I was at Wigan, Wigan um, I left when we got to the Premiership. So okay. my experience was really it's to do with how it was working when I went to West Brom. Yeah. Uh, I was a bit... Uh, disappointed with the way we dealt with playing against big, bigger teams as West Brom. Yeah. But when we was Wigan, from Division 2, we won Division 2 by 100-plus yeah. points, top scorer. We got into the championship. We didn't even change a thing. We had a really? great team. Yeah. When I first joined Wigan, the whole team was like an amazing team. So me just joining just meant extra goals yeah. and everything you need in the team. Just like, you know, you look at the Liverpool before and I was looking at them before they didn't win the league when they didn't. I was like, all they need is one defender, one goalkeeper and it's yeah. over. They yeah. got already everything. The same kind of thing with us. We just needed one striker. So everything else was there. Bang, they brought me in and I was like, wow, this is great football. I remember, it's weird, yeah? Uh, I'll just quickly go to that. But um, I was at Wigan and I'm playing and we're, we're winning all the time. But one day I got injured and I was watching from the sideline us play. Because um, actually, I was injured with my shoulder all that season when we won the league. And um, when we wrapped it up, I decided I'm going to go and get my operation done. Yeah. And I'm going to miss the last game of the season because it's already wrapped up. The league's won everything. 
So I had my operation, then I came and watched the match. And I'm watching the match thinking, wow, these guys are great. <laughs> I can't believe I can play with these guys. It's weird. It's like I felt that they were better than me, like better than I'm able to do when I was obviously part of it for the whole season. But looking at it from up, up in the stands, I'm like, man, these guys play some great football, you know? So I just loved that. Loved the fact that when we played premiership teams, we didn't care. We played our game. And we just, we beat pretty much everyone in the cups as well. And I always scored, did well. So we didn't care. We played to our strengths and we made it work. But the problem what happened when we went to West Brom, I, I think it's a problem. And obviously it proved that because we got relegated. Now they just avoided relegation the previous season. When I came there, they have Campbell, Horsfield, Earnshaw, Carnu, Kamara. So I'm there going, they got so many strikers. <laughs> Yeah. wow okay I'm going to join them no problem and I'll be the next one but at least they just avoided um, relegation so if I come I'm going to ho- hopefully make them at least ha- you know mid-table somewhere so we're there and I remember there's times we could be playing like a Man United or a, a Liverpool or you know one of the bigger teams they'd be like we've lost basically the way he was preparing was we've lost that game so let's leave our first team players um out let's play some of the you know some of the fringe players in that game so we're ready for that game and I'm like oh why can't you just play your best team every week if we just played our best team we would be mid-table easily the team that with the players that we had we had Inamoto never playing we had Kanu and me top scorers at the time we both had five goals in the league yet we played half the games of the other strikers that played so you had Campbell and Horsfield both playing together they're both good in their own right, but they're both hold-up men, which means you don't have any any pace yeah. running down, you know, to get in behind teams. So then we had, obviously, not the pace on the wings and not pace up front. So I'm like, what are you doing? Why have we got a team with these players in? They've got fast players here, fast players there, yet you're not playing them all at the same time. What's going on? So yeah. it was a bit of a annoyance. Uh, and I didn't really talk at the time, but only till the end of the season I had to and my views and say, listen, I want to move because I want to go back to the Prem. And I feel like you just bought me to, to, to cripple Wigan at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was a bit, in terms of like the way he wanted to coach Brian Robson, I just felt like he didn't really believe in us enough to be able to go and beat these teams. Imagine some of these teams are having an off day and we're at our yeah. best. We can beat them. Yeah. Just like Blackpool came in the league and Ian Holloway, my old manager from back in the day, I knew that's what it would do. He'll go, you know what? We're going at you. And if you yeah. beat us, you beat us. But we're going to go at you and we'll be the best we can be. And he scored. They look at the type amount of goals they scored. Yeah. And they obviously, they, they got beat up at times. But the amount of wins that they had that you didn't expect is just because of him going, we're attacking you. And that's what I really liked about Wigan uh, when I was there. And obviously, didn't like so much when I was at West Brom at the time in the Premiership. Obviously, outside the Premiership, a bit different, but in the Premiership, that's what was a, a bit of a frustrating uh, time for me. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you can hit a good point there where, like, you know, it's, it's difficult because, I mean, I suppose, especially, like, listen, outside of um, the professional game, talk to a coach and they'll tell you their ideas, their, their philosophies, their, their ways they want to play, um, and they'll try and stick to it as true as possible. Um, but then I suppose when you're at a professional level, it's difficult because you kind of get that, well, number one, potentially, I mean, all teams have it, but depending on how much you can spend money. So they're able to bring in players of X, Y, Z caliber. 
um, something like there that you said at West Brom. I mean, you know, looking at a whole team, you don't need five strikers. But, you know, how are you going to fit them all mm. in? How are you going to keep them all happy? And it goes back to something which I talk about quite a lot with um, managers or coaches understanding the players first and foremost. So, you know, understand, like you said, yeah. what's the point in playing two hold-up strikers? You know, you need to understand, okay, well, cool, I've got one hold-up striker, I've got one striker that can play off of that and like hit the, the defence with, with pace or, or creativity or whatever it may be. That's going to be a good combination. Um, obviously, you may have to yeah. change things based on who you're playing against, but I agree. I think that especially when you're, um, well, any team really should, should go for it. But I think this is a big thing in this day and age as well. You see a lot of teams try and match their playing philosophy to the team they're playing against. Like Man City, if someone's playing against Man City, oh, well, Man City have got XYZ players. This is what we need to do. We need to match it. We need to do that. Well, actually, why not just carry on with your, your philosophy and why you've done that? I mean, you know, like I said again, if I'm a manager and I bring you in for a particular reason, I'm not then going to say, right, well, we're playing Man City today, so Nathan, can you do this instead? And um, actually, can yeah. you be the hold-off striker? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. To, and I think that mm. one of the big things which I spoke about on, on this series as well is about the difficulties of um, when managers bring players in because they match their, 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 their fit of what they want their players okay, to look yeah. like, but then the manager gets sacked. Because then all of a sudden you have a totally different manager who may not play the same football. So I suppose that's quite difficult. Um, on, on that as well, um, looking back kind of across your whole career, what type of coaching suited you best? So what kind of brought the best out in you um, yeah. within training and also potentially on a match day? You know what? That's a really good question because as you're speaking there, I was just going through so many things in my head about what makes coaches so good. Um, and this is exactly the thing what makes Alex Ferguson. So Alex Ferguson, he was that good because he knew exactly what he needed in the type of football that he wanted. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's a big name, small name. He could find a player who's just good at that one little thing, throw him in, in the whole scheme of the whole thing, and you're a top team that's going to win the league. Just yeah. like the last time we won the league with um, our Sport United. So I'll say we won the league. <laughs> so the last time we won the league, if you look at that roster, like the, 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 the starting lineup, you're like, how did they win the league? Yeah. But that's what he does. He picks the right players for the right positions for the right type of football. And that's what I noticed. So coming back to um, basically, you're talking about what I liked most and what was what's most um, um, best for me. It was playing to my strengths. That's the main thing. So... I found when I went to West what, Wigan at the time, um, this is where I started noticing a lot more. Because they play such good football and we had a winger who was really fast and could play in a quality ball, I scored header after header after header there all them seasons. But from moving from then, I didn't score many headers. Yeah. After leaving Wigan, no one would probably have known me as a headerer, a guy who scores headers for fun and can score power headers from anywhere. If I wasn't at Wigan no one would know that was a guy who could score headers. So I went to, uh, this is just one point. I'm at Wigan. We play expansive football, get in behind, cross the ball in with, with quality. And then I can get on it and I'll score headers for fun. And I did do that. Now we go to West, uh, West Bromwich Albion. We've got Jonathan Greening on the left. Zoltan Gira more often than not on the right. He's got a quality ball. But that ball comes in when everyone's in, in there. Yeah, It's all slow build-up. We pop the ball around, slow build-up, and you cross the ball in and no one can score a header. 
um, Green in, he'll cut back. His game was to left foot. He's down the left, but he wants to cut back onto his right foot and then in, sw- out, uh, in swing it. So he would cut back, fake again to cut back, fake again until he found an opening and then cross it in. By this time, everyone's in the box. Yeah. So unless you've got a Fellaini or a Duncan Ferguson, you're not going to score a header. There's a total different heading game to Wigan. You're getting down the wing, you're running, everyone's running back, the defenders are running back, you cross it in behind everyone, I'm in between them, bang, goal. So this is what I mean. I never score, I don't remember scoring a header for West Brom. Total different um, type of football. And um, that's the type of football I loved. And when you, again, it's about players who you play with as well that are going to bring the best out of you. Because I played with a number of different strikers. Andy Little was a very good striker. He was the best striker that I played with that was single-minded. What I mean is all strikers, most strikers are going to be single-minded and selfish towards themselves, getting, getting themselves in the best position possible, scoring the best, you know, scoring as many goals as they need and, and thinking about, not really having to think too much about the other striker. So and him, he would score goals for fun, but he would also, if he saw you, he'll put you in. Yeah. He'll, he'll find me a lot of times and he'll put you in with quality. So I'd score a lot of goals with him. But it went to another level when I was with Jason Roberts because Jason Roberts, he's now a friend off the pitch, friend on the pitch, wants to see me score as many as I want, as I can, and I want to do the same. So me and him, it's like a goal and assist was the same thing to me. Yeah. The same for him. A goal or an assist was the same thing. We've got, I felt so happy like putting him in and, and he scores. It's like me and him were one person. So when he scores, it's still me scoring kind of thing. Yeah. It was weird. So... That was what made me double the player now. So everyone saw me as this really, really good player. But it's only because we had the winger who gets down the wing. We had the midfielder who puts you in, Jimmy Bullard, you know, the Per Franzen who was playing as well. You had loads of different players. And then you have Jason Roberts who plays to my strengths. So we're all playing to our strengths and I get, I'm the best I can be because he knows, give the ball to Nathan anywhere just outside the box and he's facing goal. He's going to score a goal from anywhere that far or he's going to put me back in or whatever. That's where the magic happens with Nathan. He'll make something happen out of nothing if you just give him the ball in them areas. Let's, let's move to another striker. Horsfield, just before Jason Roberts, he used to think about it. He was really single-minded. It was all about himself getting the goal. So I remember I'd be in a good position and then what he'd do is just play the ball out wide and get in the box because he knows he plays it out wide he'll be getting on the ball and in the box. Yeah. He's not going to look to me to play the ball so I can try and make something happen. Or either that, or he didn't really think about what made me the best I can be, like getting the ball there. So you've got to understand your players, what they're best at, and try and work to that. But it's very difficult when you're a manager and you're buying players from here, there and everywhere. How do you know that that person's that kind of player? Yeah. You know that they're all going to fit in the right way. That's what makes you a good manager. And that's, like I said, that's just a few examples. But um, like in conclusion, it's playing to your strengths. No matter Whatever the strengths are, you've got to be able to say that player will fit in there. And I'll give you one big example how it was totally the opposite for me. I went to Watford and that was totally the opposite football that I'm used to and that I can play. So my strengths, I said to him, why the... I, I was like, why are you by me when you know that I play <laughs> intricate football? I want the ball just anywhere in the box. You can put, if you get down and you put the ball in the box for me early, they're the kind of things you know I'm good at. 
why did you bring me in when all we do is bring the defender up, Danny Shitu, and let him flick the ball on and then you try and get on the end of it. You get, uh, get into the other, um, uh, opposite, opposition's side of the pitch, you do a long throw into Danny Shitu and let him flick it on and try and score. I said, you know what? You can play any striker and he'll do exactly what I'm doing right now. You don't need me on the pitch because I am just the same as any other striker right now because you're not playing to any of the things that I'm good at. So what's the point? If I am, let's say, a nine at heading, a nine at getting the ball anywhere around the box, and I'm a five, let's say, at winning head. I was pretty good at winning headers, but let's say I'm a four at scoring goals from a flick on. And then there's this player who's a four at everything, but he's a nine at scoring goals from a flick on. So no one even thinks he's that good. You need to play him in that, that kind of way, in that kind of football. You need to play him, not me. But that's the kind of thing people then thought, who's this Nathan Elliott and why did we pay so much for him and all of this? And it was a frustration because the manager, he bought a player because he was good in a different system but didn't think about it enough that I was going to be good in his system. And that's the problem with managers today. Yeah. You've got, you got a really good manager like the Leicester man. I really think the Leicester manager is very good. Um, what does he do? Why is he good? Because he knows how to put a team together yeah. that's yeah. working to the, just his philosophy. That's his philosophy. What players work best in that philosophy? Let me put it right. Let me put that in there. Done it at Liverpool. He's done it at Leicester. He's at, I think he was at Watford. Um, yeah. um, what's it? Brent, what's it? Brent, Brent, Brendan? Brendan? Yeah, so him, he's a good manager. Like, that's because he's able, I can see it in him doing that. And you know, Solskjaer, he's not like it for everyone saying what's his philosophy, because I didn't know. I couldn't see what his philosophy was. But obviously, I, I give him a bit of a blight because he had so many injuries and then he just had to play what he had to play. Yeah. But yeah. now when he's got the players, if you look at what he's done against the big boys, He's out. He's out tactic. He's, he's done better tactics than them in every time since he, the first day he come. We beat Tottenham. We beat up everybody. I feel we beat everyone. Man City. We beat Liverpool. We beat everyone. Chelsea. A number of times. And you look at it and you think, I know he's the kind of manager. He might not have that philosophy of, you know, all the intricate stuff. But he knows what he's learned from Ferguson. What I can see is he knows how to put together the team. That's what I think. He knows what players he wants. And once he gets them, they'll, uh, you can see every player he's bought has improved United and they are good buys, every single one of them. Even looking at Dan James being coming from championship, not being of the top, top strap players and the wingers that you're talking about. But what we needed was balance. We were crying out for balance. When uh, Mourinho was there, I was thinking, why are we playing this football? I went and watched him against Everton at Old Trafford and we played everything down the left. Matter was on the right. He kept coming in and they didn't need to even think about the right side. Yeah. So what it means that they can now overload on Martial, overload on Rashford, stop him, stop him easy, stop Pogba, whatever, because that's all they've got. Now what we got? You've got a player in James. You have to be honest. You have to now stay wide. You have to now use all your sprinting power to get back and you're going to be tired. Not only that, it's going to open things up for Rashford. I yeah. can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to see Man United now with Pogba, Bruno, Rashford, Martial, and even Dan James, how he is right now. Yeah, I'm not saying even like he's not a good player. What I mean by that, he's not the same level as these, obviously a top, a team that's obviously trying to win the league in the Champions League. You're going to need a bit more quality there, but he will also open things up. 
that if they don't look after the big boy, he'll be in and he'll yeah. continue getting yeah. in. And you'll see him scoring goal after goal after goal as well. So I can't wait to see it, to be honest. So, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think, like you said, that they um, you know, they they're growing as a team as well. So yeah, I think it's really important. And and again, it goes back to knowing and understanding players in their right systems and you know, getting them for their strengths. A similar situation, like you know, with what you were saying about like if you're playing the wrong system and you're not playing with the correct players as well, then you know it's not going to bring out the objectives of what you can do as a player. So. Yeah, I agree. And I think, especially with, like you said, someone like Man United now, like, you know, you're buying James as a winger. So play him out in those wider areas. There's no point in him continuously, you know, playing too close to the, the central midfielders because that isn't what the game yeah. is. So, yeah, no, I think I think they definitely will be interesting to see how they do that. Um, but then kind of looking over everything, and it's what the first bit's a bit of a cliche question, um, but then I'm going to put a bit of a spin on it as well to kind of add a coaching element to it. Um, yeah. What advice would you give to young upcoming footballers? Um, and then also, what advice would you give to, and you kind of answered it a little bit, but to coaches to be aware of an apparent to from a player's perspective? Um, aware of what? Sorry, I didn't hear that um, word. So to be aware of um, the sort of play, player's perspective. So as a player, what advice would you give to a coach? It may be something like you said, you know, playing a player to their, their strengths or, um, you know, allowing players to be, have freedom and express themselves on the ball or sort of along that kind of route. So the, the, so the first one is, what advice would you give to coaches? And uh, then the, what advice would you give? Yeah, either yeah. way around. Yeah, yeah. So basically, to coaches, it's more, again, I'm giving advice to coaches, but I don't think it's, a, I'm not in, I wouldn't say I was really in a great position to say that I'm giving advice to coaches, but what I would say is what I believe that coaches would, um, should really look at if they're looking at picking teams and stuff is just identify what you want to do and then yeah. identify the player that is going to fit what you're doing and then allow them to the freedom to do what they need to do. So I used, we used to work in a frame, we used to work in a framework at Wigan. So we'd play without the ball unopposed and we'd do our framework. Like we, we go here, if the ball's here, you've got these options. Yeah. You've got these runs, you've got a few of these runs and this will open up the door for us to get up to that position in the pitch and then you do what you do. That's up to you. But that's what I mean. You've got to give them freedom to do what they do. You know what they can do because you've seen them play and that's why you brought them in. So if you know you've got a skillful player who loves to get on the ball and dribble past them, then what you've got to do is you've got to know that you've got to have a team that has to work to make that an advantage for it, for your team. Yeah. Don't you, know, you can't expect him to do other things like hold up play and other things more than what you, you've got to basically provide them opportunities for that player to get on the ball facing up the winger, the, the, the fullback. Yeah. If you don't do that, there's no point having that good winger on, the, on your team. And it is the same goes for everything. If you've got, you've got a player who you know is like a brute and he can score headers, make sure you get early balls in for him. Then work with him to, to get on the end of those early balls. So it's just, it's, it sounds like common sense, but it's weird because not everyone does it. Yeah. Everyone just thinks he's a good player. Let's put him in. He'll do well. It doesn't work like that. So, again, it's like I give an example of people talking about certain players coming into Man United, and then I think, why would we buy this player uh, when you've got all these other players already there? Where would he fit in if you're going to put them all on the pitch in the same time? You're not going to be able to, or you're going to be lopsided and you're going to just not be as effective. What's the point? 
So what mm-hmm. makes Liverpool so good is that they've got Mane on one side and Salah on the other side. That's what makes them so good. When Salah gets injured, they're half the team because you can easily just shut down on one side. Not easily, but if they were to play the whole season, no Salah, I'm sure they're not winning the league. They go to uh, Man City, they lost Sane for so much of the season now. They are, uh, some of their players are getting a bit older as well. They haven't got that blistering, blistering place on both sides, which was giving the balance to opening up things for everyone else. Eventually, you start seeing things where they, they, they get a draw, where they, should not have, they would not have got a draw. Or then you get a couple losses where you wouldn't have had any losses because of that, that there. So it's just a small little things that, that change. And that can be the difference between you being a title-winning team and a team that's third, fourth. So that's what an advice I'd say. Just play the, get players and help them play the position and try your best to get them players for every position. And that's, that's, really, that's really it. And the second bit was what, was it, to, to do um, with the players? Yeah, so just kind of advice on young, young players and, um, you know, things just, again, to be apparent to you when trying to... Yes, I would say... Um, Apart from training with your team and stuff, I feel like there's a place for just playing freestyle. There's still a place for yeah. doing that. You've got to be able to find a way. I, I feel like I'm even going to switch it up in my academy. Like I'm going to have like the odd week where you're just playing like World Cup. Like yeah. you just like, you know, you've got one goalkeeper and everyone plays against everyone and whoever's at the end wins. Like, let's just do it. That's what I used to do every day at, foot, at school. Yeah. And that's what I think players need to also have in their game. So they're not just stuck to, let me pass the ball, uh, get the ball, I've got to pass it quickly. And that's all they're thinking. And, 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 and you get the ball and you take people on and you, get the, you lose the ball. You've got to be encouraged to do that. And yeah. to be honest, you've just got to be brave. You've got to be brave. You've got to not care. I, feel, I think one thing of this generation that I don't like, I really don't like, and that's the way that they a lot of players nowadays, they can't handle any form of criticism. And it's not, it's just, it's taught through the schools and everything now. And I don't know why. I don't know why you have sports day these days and there's no races, like one-on-one races, like who's going to win the 100 metres? Why is there no races and there's no winner and loser? Why? I don't understand. I understand that there's this inclusion stuff, but seriously, that's not the real world. You don't play a game and everyone wins. It just doesn't happen. Why not? You've got a winner, you've got the second, third, fourth, and, and, and the, the last. Like, you play and you race. Like, you lose, you lose. If you hurt, you're hurt. Like, just get over it. It's only a race. That's what I think we need to get back to because there's no point making it a fairy tale world until you become an adult and then all of a sudden it, it hits you. You can't handle one little thing. I remember coaching one boy one-to-one. I was doing some finishing with him. I was trying to get him to get this certain technique and I was like, yeah, you didn't get it that time. You didn't get it. Ah, oh, you got that one. You got that one. And then all of a sudden, he started getting a face on. And he's just kicking all the balls. Like, I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's, what's happened? He's like, oh, you told me I was doing it wrong. I was like, you was doing it wrong. <laughs> so what do you want me to do? Tell you you're doing it right when you wasn't? Well, what, find a way of trying to say that you're not doing it right without making you think that you're doing it wrong? I was thinking in my head, like, seriously, I'm not even saying anything bad here. And you can't take that. Yeah. So imagine I'm, I'm, when I used to dissect my own games, I used to play a match and, and then think back and go, okay, 
I could have done that better. I should have done that better. Why did I make that decision? Why have I got through on goal one-on-one and I've decided to take a shot early when I could have got way closer to goal and slotted it past him? Why am I shooting like I'm shooting a long-range shot? Like, you know, making my chances less. So imagine a coach was telling me that. I'd just take that on board. Okay, perfect. Next time I'll get a bit closer. Let's work on that. I'll get better. Today, it's like players can't take it. So I think they should get you... They've got to get prepared. That's something that is... They should be able to be prepared for criticism and, and how yeah. to take it on board and how to use it to improve your game. So that's that's one of the major things that I would say. If they if to kids of today they get that in, then you'll see like I bet you I bet you the coach players you played with, how many players will shout? How many players will shout and ask for the ball? Or if you made a mistake, they're gonna tell you about it. Yeah. They're not. They're quiet. Because yeah. they won't say nothing. Even if you tell them, shout. They're not shouting. Tell them, if I make a mistake, I'm your coach. I make a mistake. Make sure you make me know about it. Let me know. No one's going to let me know. Yeah. And the, the, the one person out of maybe 50 kids, 100 kids, he'll be the one person shouting. I said, you know what? That's something that not many people have. That's a character trait that if you have that and you go into football and you're really good and you get there and you're the same as someone else, you're getting picked. Because yeah. you've got the character trait of a captain of one of them captain, them leader, leader figures, you need that. So, yeah, I think uh, yeah. it's a bit of a, um, a vague one, but uh, I kind of give you a few points there. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes total sense. And I think it's just the way in which I think society has built up words like failure and wrong to be negatives when yeah. it isn't. You know, like, I think it goes to show credit with your journey. And, you know, like, for example, some people could turn around and say, like we said, People ask, you know, well, how do you feel not being picked? But like you said, it, it's just another experience. And, you know, you look at the career that you've gone on to have. So I think that, yeah, it's definitely, and that's why I was going back to everyone as well, saying about sort of um, the psychological and the social aspects of a player. It's not just technical. You know, they need to understand that it's, it's that kind of element as well of having, you know, an understanding how to experience and deal with that. subscribe to the daily coaching podcast so that you never miss out on an episode